Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <laughs> I can see Elizabeth now like, oh my gosh, please let me get out of here. <laughs> hey, we're going to finish today our, our, our series on love this morning. Uh, we've been talking about love prescribed from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then we were talking about love described last week. So the prescription was given of how we are to love someone, the description of what that love looks like. So we talked about an attitude of love, and then we talked about the actions of it. All right. So when you put attitude and actions together, there's an applicational process to this. In other words, this is what we should see. This is how things should look when love is applied applied to our lives, okay? It doesn't always come out this way because people don't always respond back the way we want, but this is what happens spiritually when spiritual love is given, all right? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 6 through 8, and then of course we'll finish with verse 13, but love but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Love never fails. That's the first part of verse 8. And then verse 13 says this, But now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So when love is prescribed, and we've given, given this in the description of what it looks like, which we just talked about up there last week, and it fully comes out applicationally, love rejoices with the truth. The first thing we need to understand is that love praises or rejoices in truth. Look, we live in a society today that praises people who do bad things. We bring honor to that. I mean, we live in a social environment today when someone puts something on one of those platforms, people will pile on, okay? So when someone is praised for doing something wrong, what does that do? It causes other people to, to join in in that. We need to rejoice in that which is truth or that which is righteousness. We need to rejoice when we see things and we see people doing the right thing. When we, see, we need to give praise and honor to those who we see out in our community, in our church, or amongst us, even in our family, to those who are, who are doing those things which are right. Do we, are we praise-heavy people? I mean, I want you to think about that for a few minutes. If you go today and someone serves you well at lunch, are you going to praise them for being a good server? If you go today and go to the grocery store and someone does a great job of checking you out, or maybe it's raining and they take your groceries out of the car for you, are you going to praise and give them honor for doing those good things, those, those right, going above and beyond, doing that thing which is out of done, out of love, instead of out of duty? We need to get on the right side of this. We need to understand that when love is displayed to folks and then is applied to people's lives, and when thing, people do those acts or, or attitudes which are honorable or righteousness, we need to give them praise and rejoice for that. Why? Because God does that. God instills that in us. It's who we are as people of God. It's what makes the difference. You know, there's a thing out there now called random acts of kindness. 
And everybody's all on random acts of kindness. I remember a few years ago, it was paying for the food of the person that was behind you in the, in the line when you were going through a restaurant or going through uh, a, you know, a, a drive-thru or whatever. That was a big deal, kind of like pay it forward. That should be a part of who we are. It shouldn't be something that we do just randomly. Random acts of kindness should be what? The very essence of who we are as the people of God. So that's the application of this. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2-4 through four says this, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So, Look, if this becomes an, if love becomes an attitude of who we are, if love is displayed out through our actions, then it actually overcomes, overwhelms the world. So if we live in a society today that lifts up people doing the wrong thing, then we got to be very, very much so on our toes doing the right thing and then praising those who are who we see doing the right thing. We can make people's day by the words that we say. We can make people's day by the actions that we display towards them. Random acts of kindness. Doing something for someone else when it's not our responsibility. Just the little things. Just, just how we go about our, and make little changes in our day can reverberate itself out to those who are around us. I mean, just think about it. If we went to work tomorrow or wherever we were going, and we did, whether it's a random act of kindness or words of praise, rejoicing in truth. If we did that, how do you think that that might reverberate out in that person's life that day to someone else, then to someone else, then to someone else, then to someone else? It carries forward. But we have to be the start. We always want to be the receiver. But re reality says that we're not supposed to be the recipient. We're to love others. And we love others by doing that which is right. By living a righteous life before them. And then praising them or rejoicing in the acts that they may do. Or opportunities that we have to pour into someone else's life. So the first thing that I want you to see, when love is applied, love rejoices in truth. And then it says, when that true love is shown, there's three things that are given here. One, true love is not circumstantial. In other words, Scripture says, and, and Jesus gives an example of this when he's talking to his disciples throughout the gospel. He says, it's easy to love others who love us. It's easy to love people who are supposed to love us. But it's not easy to love those who are not supposed to love us. So this is where the difference comes. This is where we have to move beyond circumstances. It's easy to love those who like us. But it's not always easy to love those who not, not, don't even necessarily like who we are. So in other words, if we're the church out in the world and the world is responding back negatively towards us, we're supposed to, as God's people, what? Be adversarial to them? 
We're supposed to go and to win them, overcome that through love. So true love goes beyond circumstances. It goes beyond the setting. <clears throat> I may have mentioned this story a few, a few years ago. This happened. There was a, um, back in the time when there was a lot of refugees coming in from Syria. All right? Syria was war-torn, right? And so it was also, Syria is what? A heavily Muslim country, all right? And in a lot of cases, those uh, folks were radicalized, all right? So you may have had someone as a refugee try to slip into our country. That's happened before. Didn't turn out well in 2001, did it not? When people got in that way and, 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 and radical, were radicalized and, and took that out against our country. So there was a lot of folks who were against allowing these folks to come in and get away from the war that was going on in their country and to try to settle in our country. So Atlanta was one of the places that received a lot of folks. I mean, literally thousands of folks or hundreds to thousands of folks came in. All right? So there was a church on the north side of Atlanta. It was called Johnson's Ferry Baptist Church. Johnson's Ferry Baptist Church saw all this that was going on in the community, and instead of, I mean, they're highly missional, by the way. Right, right. I mean, that church was extremely missional. So instead of being someone who saw this negatively, they responded positively and decided to house all the refugees from Syria themselves. So people within their church started taking in folks from different countries, didn't speak the language, were not of the same faith in their background, and bringing them where? Into their homes. Bringing them into their homes. This is what I'm talking about. Moving beyond the circumstances that are around us in the world to respond differently, to be able to overcome the barriers that are there. They had what? They had language barriers. They had religious barriers. But they showed them with love who they were. Showed them with love. So it moved beyond the circumstance of the situation that was going on and bridged the gap. Bridge, now think about it. These people came over, they, they didn't even know how to undo doors. No doors over there. Any of that kind of stuff. They didn't even know how to operate, turn on and turn off faucets. They had to educate them in every way, shape, form, or fashion about our culture. But they did that, bridged that through love. This is the example that Scripture sets for us. Love rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Moves beyond all of the stuff that's going on. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not let the love of the world or the things in the world, or do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is what we're up against. This is sin. We love the world. The next thing that follows after this, it says that there's only three ways that we're attacked. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. So as soon as he gets through telling us not to love the world, he describes all the things that are in the world. What is the love of the world? Lust of our flesh, feeding us. It's all about me. Lust of the eye. I want that. My wants are greater than the needs. Pride of life. I'm better than you. Anytime that we think that we are better than someone else, we're in trouble. 
Scripture says that God created all people, men and women, equally. Equally. We're all equal in the eyes of God. We're all creation. Somebody's caught up in something else. We're all slaves, either to the Lord or to sin. So if we're not a slave to God, then we're a slave to sin. If we're a slave to sin, we're caught up in the circumstances that that sin brings into our lives. There's no way for us to overcome that as lovers, as God's people, when we're caught up in it ourselves. So we have to take our eyes off of those. Now, here's the second thing that I want you to see. This I'm progressing you through these circumstances. So the world sees this. This is all that's in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. And then it says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but as such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it couple of things here. You are not going through anything that somebody else has not gone through before. But, but it's me, Tim, Pastor Tim. Nobody's ever gone through what I've gone through before. You have no idea what I've experienced. No, I don't. But I want to tell you something. Somebody's gone through it before. Ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? The best part of that movie is where I think it's the general that they've gone to and explained this, that all of his brothers have died. And he pulls out this, and they were like, why should we go save this one guy? Why should we send other people to go save? Everybody's questioning on it. And he pulls out of his desk that letter that President Abraham Lincoln wrote to the mother who had lost all of her children. And he says, no one has ever laid a greater sacrifice on the altar of our country than what you've laid. And I was like, go get that guy. And the whole, whole rest of the movie, I was like, get him, get him out of there. Someone has paid a greater sacrifice. Someone has endured more. My mountain is a molehill to somebody else. And the things that I think that I have to overcome have already been overcome. My sin, my issue, my baggage is never as big as what someone else has gone through. It's, my price is never as high as someone else has already paid. And we have to realize this. And I need you to understand this. When Jesus Christ is on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He has every single one of those burdens on him at that moment. God has turned his back on him on the cross. And he is bearing the sin of all humanity for all time. And we think we got problems. We think we're the only one that's dealing with what we're dealing with. Somebody else has gone through what you have gone through. But you are not tempted to the point where you have to fail. See, we think failure is an option today. And I get caught up in this too. Every single one of us do. I just want to quit. I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. I've had enough. 
But God gives us a way. It says that the way sometimes is provided for us through endurance. He preserves us to endure. (laughs) Think about that. You're going the same way I'm going. I really don't want that, thank you very much. I don't want to be preserved so I can endure. I want to prosper. Give me one of those scriptures, Pastor Tim. Preach me some prosperity gospel. The more you give, the more you receive. How about that one? Y'all, let me pass these plates again this morning. The more you give, the more you're going to get back. Come on, lay it on me. And if I haven't gotten enough this morning, we're going to go back there and count right now. If we had not gotten enough, we'll pass it again. We want that, right? That tickles our ears. That inspires us. That if I give more, I'm going to receive more. We don't want to read this, okay, I'm going to go through something that everybody else has gone through, but God says he's going to provide a way out for me by endurance. That he's going to preserve me to be able to make it through this so that I can go tell everybody else that I made it through this. No, thank you. Or we can choose the world. The easy way out is the ways of the world. Giving in to our situation and circumstances. And this is what everybody does in the world today. And we get caught up in this in the church. And I can tell you, I'm an A numero, grade A whiner. I'm the king of whinies. And my wife's up here going, yeah, he is. She never knew the wimp that she married. But man, she gets along with me in the house, and I'm like, ooh, it's me. I'm like Eeyore, man, on steroids. Home turmoil, as bad as it gets. Why am I going to go through this? Always me, always me. Or we can turn it around and stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about what God called us to everybody else and pouring ourselves out instead of wallowing in. True love is not circumstantial. God will get you through it. Ephesians 6, 24. Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Incorruptible love. Do not allow your love to be corrupted by this world. The world turns our love into lust. And that's not always sexual. It could be positional. I need a new title. I want this. I want your job. I'm not satisfied with my job. I want your house. I want your car. Y'all are just lucky nobody said, I want your pastor. <laughs> no, y'all can have him. Let him stay right over there. Get it, guys. We always think about something else, not about what we have. My mother used to always tell me, Tim Hunter, you are never satisfied. 
And I used to go, yeah, I'm type A, Mom. That's a great thing. I'm never satisfied. I'm always aspiring to more. But I'm never satisfied. I can't eat enough. I can't get enough. I can't be happy with what I have. Tamar uses a word on me all the time. It's a cuss word to me. It's called contentment. She says, you're never content. You're never content. I'm like, stop cussing me. That's where we are. It's not good. It's not good. Now look, I'm not telling you to stop being aspirational. That God does not call us to a higher calling. I'm just saying, don't let the world stuff get in the way of that. We're meant for a whole lot more than we think we are, but probably not in the ways that we think. And the way in which God gets us to that destination is not how we perceive that we should get there. We think it should, God should just give us. God says, you're going to have to go through it to get it. But I'm going to love you. And my love is greater than this. My love overcomes this. True love never fails. <laughs> Marriage is hard, is it not? Come on, it's okay. All the guys can speak up. It's Father's Day. It's a grace week for you, all right? Marriage is hard. It is. Why is that? Why is marriage hard? Hmm? You have, you have to compromise. You, you, what, are, what are you doing? In marriage, you're supposed to put the other person before yourself. That's what makes marriage hard, isn't it, right? What do you mean you want to do this? I just need some me time. Can you just leave me alone for a moment? What about, what about me? I need these things. I have needs as well. Can you meet those for me? I want to tell you something right now. This woman right here, she loves her back scratched. She'd roll over like a cat, man, and just like right here. But she don't ever scratch mine. I love her. I love her. And I can make her happy in about 10 seconds. She'd be like purring. Just scratch, scratch my back, scratch my back. Are you ever going to scratch mine? I actually have an itch right here I can't even reach. She'll sit there and, I'm okay, you go okay? No, back needs scratching. You see, that's the way we think. That's the way we love. We love how we want to receive love. Have y'all ever read about the the spiritual, the, the love gifts that you have, Gary Chapman's book, The Love Languages. We love in our language. I can bring tomorrow all, I love gifts. I can bring tomorrow all kinds of stuff. That's great. Scratch my back. Touch. Hold me. Love language. But I like to love in the way that I like to be loved. Here's a shirt. I went and bought you this. Isn't this thing beautiful? That's great. Will you scratch my back? We love the way that we want to be loved. That's not always how the other person is loved, right? 
You have to find their love language and love them that way. How many times do you do that at work? How many times do you sit around where you work with someone else and try to figure out their love language and then make their day that way? See, that's how love doesn't fail. That's how we overcome the world. It's when we figure out what other people need and how they need to be loved, and then we love them that way. We can't go through and say, I like to be loved like this, and then go love everybody else, and then get mad because they don't reciprocate. Love doesn't fail. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. <clears throat> and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's our, our whole job, draw near to God. God pours into us, and then our job is to pour that back out. We are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's our job. Our job is not to be adversarial to each other. Our job is not to nag one another. Our job relationally in marriage is to lift each other up. To meet those love needs. To stimulate one another to good deeds and to love. And not forsake the assembling together. Wow. Don't always go home and watch me on TV. Like you all do that anyway, right? Y'all go home every week and re-watch this, don't you? You don't even watch TV throughout the week. I just watched my pastor over and over and over again. I loved it so much. Stimulate one another. Encouraging one another. Don't forsake the assembling together. Get together. Figure out what, it need, what we need to be able to lift each other up. And do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. Paul says at the end of 2 Timothy, he says, Mine being poured out as a drink offering. Paul was old, had gone through three tours of duty, missionally, had gone on all those mission trips, done all those things. He'd been to Corinth so many times and written letters to Corinth, spent three years in the church at Ephesus. By the time he was at the end, what do you think they were all doing? We got some serious problems here, Pastor Paul. Can you come help us? No, I'm in jail. But I'm going to write you a letter, Timothy. Teach you how to, at Ephesus, where I left you, suck it up. This is what you need. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm writing faster than my hand can go. Why? From prison, I'm writing all these letters. Why? Because they needed him to give them guidance. We think at the end, we're going to, what's the big word? Retire. How many of you are actually retired? How many of you have to do more? Paul and Liz, 
Have y'all ever retired? Y'all got more people in your house today than you did 10 years ago, right? We take care of family, family, a family, a family, a family. We're not done. Miss Lenora, have you sent all your children away only to have them come back, right? That's right, that's right, they love you. They're, everybody's always needing a little help, a little touch, a little something to be able to... Goodness gracious, Gary, they're all going to live with you for the rest of their lives, aren't they? I'm not saying that. I got two in my own. I'm like, when are they leaving? Tomorrow goes, they'll be back. They'll be back. They'll be back. They're going to come back with more too, right? That's right. We're not done. We're not retired. Our ministry description has changed. We're a facilitator of more people. That's what this means to us. God multiplies. Miss Fran, I didn't even want, even want to go your way. That's all right. You got an entire church on your own to take care of. That's right. Love never fails. Love remains. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I did this on purpose. But the scriptures I've been giving you have been talking about faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Because the passage ends, the whole message series ends, but now faith, hope, love. Abide these three. Remain. The word abide means remain. Abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now I'm going to give you a, a little, giving you some Greek here, all right? Some seminary days, I'm pouring out on you my seminary education, making it worthwhile. You know what that means to abide into something and to remain under something like that, to endure under something? It's like a grape with a thumb on it pressing down. What is the grape trying to do the whole time? Avoid being smushed, or the grape is trying to what? Slip out one side or the other. That's really a, a visual picture of what it means for us to endure all of this, to persevere through all this. We're like the grape. All we're worried about is avoid being smushed, but the whole time we're trying to what? Figure out a way to get out from under the thumb. God is allowing the pressure on our lives, but the whole point is for us to remain, to abide. Pressure is there. All we're looking for is an escape and to keep ourselves from getting smushed. We can't handle it. It's too much pressure. We're going to quit. We're going to give up. It's gonna, we're going to implode. Or we're going, I can get out from under this right over here. But these three things remain. Our faith, our hope, and our love. The greatest of which is our love. 1 Timothy one five. Told you, First Timothy, Second Timothy, the last books that Paul wrote, writing to his apprentice, a Timothy. This is what he says at the beginning of book number one. But the goal of our instruction is love. Love how? Love because God says I gotta love. No, love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's how we're supposed to love. A pure heart. 
the right thing. Remember how we just talked about that up there? Love rejoices in the truth. A good conscience. Love is not circumstantial. I've got to do right even when the circumstances are bad. A sincere faith. We just talked about that in Hebrews. In fact, Hebrews says the same thing, did it not? Draw near with a clean conscience. Hold fast to our confession without wavering, for he who promises faithful. John 15, verses 7 through 11. If you abide, just switch the word remain. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The full extension of who we are is the love of God flowing through us. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us how that's prescribed to us, described to us, and how we apply it to everybody else. Guess what? That love remains. My name is Timothy. My grandmother's name is Lois. My mother's name is not Eunice. It was Gail. But that side of my family poured into me. That side of my family is Mars Hill Baptist Church, where I was raised generationally. They gave me love in a way that was different. And I'm not saying my other side of my family was bad. All I'm saying is they poured into me in a different way. And I remember them differently. My grandmother loved me. She fed me like I was a stuffed pig. She fed me all the time. But she poured into me more than food. She opened her house to me. I got off the bus there. She poured life lessons into me. She taught me over and over and over. She disciplined me. My parents let her spank me. And she did. And well. Just like Timothy that Paul has been writing to, that we've been looking at today, there are those in his descendants who loved him and that love shined through them to him. And then he did the same thing. That's what remains. The church is dying. That's a bad statement. Because the church is not a building. The church is people. So if church is dying, our faith, hope, and love is dying. That's what's killing us. It's not the facilities. It's our faith. Our hope. And our love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the blessings of life that you've bestowed. I thank you how the, the praise you for how we were raised. I praise you for the people that are in this room today, for the worship team that's coming forward and, uh, and how they practice and what they do and, and just how you've used them today in my life. Father, I just pray that today as we get ready to celebrate and go through a week of Vacation Bible School, which is hard work, that we will realize that there are children and lives at stake. Not only the lives of the children that are in this place, but generationally what the lives of those children may be able to pour into others. Help us, Father, to be faithful to the task at hand, to love when those around us are unlovable, to endure when life is hard, and to have hope and to realize that you are faithful. He who has began a good work in us will see it through. These things we pray. These things we ask for. These things we desire in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.